A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. This is one of two podcasts available to you today on the eve of a new Premier League season. We have our Arsenal-focused season preview out now as well. You can listen to me and Kaya Kainak from Football London talk about Arsenal's summer business, the expectations, the season ahead, the various challenges that we face uh, but are excited to do so. You can hear that right now. That's available in your podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. In this particular episode, I'm joined, as tradition dictates, by Ken Early from Second Captains to take a more broad look at the Premier League season ahead football in general and as ever with Ken it kind of goes places but in very enjoyable fashion I hope you will agree but just before we get to that let me give you one last push in the direction of our fantasy football league available to our Patreon members only that is because we have got some incredible prizes to give away to you top prize is 1,000 euros in cash whoever comes in top gets a thousand euros in cash plus an Arsenal shirt second 500 euros and an Arsenal shirt. Third place, 250 euros and an Arsenal shirt. And if you come in fourth, well, you get a fourth place trophy. What else would there be plus an Arsenal shirt? If you want to sign up, you've got to do that before 6.30 this evening GMT. That's 6.30 GMT. That is the cutoff point. And I am, of course, talking about Friday. If you're in before then, you can fight for those prizes. If you're not in, I'm afraid we can't make any exceptions. Don't say you weren't warned. You can sign up right now if you're not already a member on Patreon. Not only do you get the fantasy football, you get lots more extra content during the year. Preview podcasts, the 30 waffle podcast, poorly drawn month, Discord chat, loads and loads more for just over uh, a five or a month. You can do it at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. That's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Right, let's get on with this particular show and it is my pleasure to welcome from second captains ken early hi ken andrew how you doing i'm good thank you how has your summer been yeah pretty good um not too not too bad actually i went to was in greece ireland played greece there in june so i just i just stay in greece after that for a little while okay um and came back and i was all set to go to the women's world cup uh but i broke my ribs Mm. uh falling over in my kitchen like uh, I know you think that you, you, I know what you're thinking, but it wasn't. It wasn't like that. It was just an unfortunate accident. So, uh, so yeah, I couldn't go to that, uh, which which was disappointing. Although I would have been back by now anyway. Mm. So uh, yeah, that's that brings us up to speed. Okay, and here we are on the the cusp of a new season. It feels I don't know if it's just me. You know, uh, I was away in the states following the Arsenal tour a little bit and everything else, but it does feel like the gap between the end of the season and the start of a new season is shorter and shorter every year. Well, like last season was just the longest season. You know, I mean, it just went on forever. And, you know, there was like Premier League games in the last week of May, I think. Mm. 
Champions League final wasn't until the tenth of was it the tenth of June, mm. um, and then you had the World Cup in the middle. Honestly, like, <laughs> and then, you know, Ireland, Ireland were playing Greece on the sixteenth of June, like the nineteenth of June. I think was the, was the second Ireland game against Gibraltar. I think it's the latest game they've ever played. You know, in it, if you look at like a calendar is running from August to May, yeah. or June, that's the latest game that Ireland have ever been involved in that wasn't actually in a tournament. In fact, they've been knocked out of some tournaments. They played the entire finals tournament before the <laughs> 19th of June. And here they were playing a qualifier against Gibraltar. And you're just like, please, somebody make this stop. Like, just make it stop. Uh, and it, it did stop, you know, and it's been gone for a while. And I suppose we're we're ready to to uh, get it back. And now all the matches are going to be going to be longer. So, you know, just in case you thought there maybe wasn't enough last time, there's going to be more. There is going to be more. And, you know, when you say that about the international commitments of the players, because, you know, for some of them, they had a couple of weeks off and then they had to come back for international duty and then they get another bit of time off, you know, a week off, and then they've got to come back for the start of, of preseason. And we are going to discuss, you know, the, the, the new rules and obviously the... Uh, the fact that Premier League games are going to last even longer now. We saw some of that on, on Sunday in, in the Community Shield uh, at Wembley. But, you know, I I was looking at the statement that Raphael Varane put out during the week about yeah. the demands on players. And it's, a, it's an ongoing discussion point, isn't it? The, the welfare of players and the demands that are put on players and, you know, the quality versus quantity aspect of things. Like, can you really get the best football if you're flogging players for basically 11 and a half months uh, of the year and then, you know, they, you give them a couple of weeks off? Um, I mean, what did you think of his statement? Because I suppose it is in some ways on the players themselves or the players' unions maybe to come out and talk about the things that affect them. And look, there is this idea that, okay, you're really well-paid footballers. You play football for a living. You're very lucky. You know, you, of course, are machines because you earn a lot of money every week and you should be there to provide us entertainment. But, the, you know, the reality is they are human beings and they are susceptible to physical fatigue and injury and all of those kinds of things. And it does feel a bit like, the players are looking at these new guidelines and not particularly looking forward to what it's going to mean for them throughout the course of this season. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things, obviously, to to consider here. I mean, when I look at Varane's tweet, um, there's loads of um, loads of responses, basically you know, kind of along the lines of, if you can't stand the heat, you know, go and do some other job because you get paid a fortune. And, mm. uh, you know, some people have actually hard lives and all you do is whinge. Um, but I mean, it's it's true. Like the, the way that this is going, it's just more, 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 more. It's just, all, you know, the, the international tournaments expanding, you know, this sort of Nations League bullshit, the nonsense Champions League format that we're going to have, not this season, but next. Mm. It's just like generate more games, generate more, you know, generate more content. And, you know, these guys are at the sort of sharp end of it. I mean, it's just... You know, I, I suppose at the end of it, it's a case of, um, uh, I mean, on the, on the one hand, players are paid so much because their talent is very rare, right? The skills are not, uh, not a lot of people are good enough to do what they do. But at the same time, they are disposable. There's always more players. 
going mm. along, you know? And how could players change this if they were to, if they were serious that their working conditions had become intolerable, that the demands that, that were being heaped upon them were just way too much? What could they do? They could go on strike. And I haven't seen any sign of that. You know, the, I haven't ever sort of heard any any hint of like, well, we're going to actually get organized and do something to stop this. And as long as they don't, then it's a case, okay, well, you know, here's the schedule. We expect you to, to turn up. And if you don't, we'll, we'll get someone else. So, um, I mean, I think it's, it's terrible what's happening, but it's just all of these different um, institutions uh, that should be, you know, about like, in theory, have started off with something to do with sport. Well, not the Premier League. I mean, in France, the Premier League is literally just the money-making it's like, how can we make more money out of this thing? Mm. But, you know, FIFA and UEFA should uh, have some sense of responsibility towards the sport. Um, you know, it, 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 does it actually mean, I, I think they've kind of completely forgotten about that, like that this is actually sport and not just a, a way of making people watch television. Sure. I mean, you know what I mean, that's, that's literally, that's literally all they think of. Yeah. And, you know, the, and, and so they don't, they don't care about these players. I mean, Fran is whinging now, but no, don't worry, he'll be gone soon. We'll get someone else in and, you know, they'll get broken down and exhausted and then we'll get someone else in. And, and that's just kind of, that's just, um, that's just the way it is. And sport itself, I mean, sport is, is, is irrelevant now. I mean, there used to be this kind of sense of, I mean, I'd say, for instance, this, um, all this stuff that you did. You, I don't know if you watched Jake Paul against Nate Diaz. No. I guess, I guess you probably didn't, right? But you no. probably heard that it was on, right? It turns out that it's more lucrative or that it's, it, it, it's better for YouTubers to have these like uh, big title fights. Right. Can you hear my dog? Yeah, that's fine. We love a dog on the podcast. It's fine. Okay, sorry. I don't know what he's going nuts out there. No, he's probably hears a car outside. Um, but it, it turns out that some YouTuber dickhead can make more money from, um, you know, from a, a prize fight, way more money from a prize fight than like an actual boxer who spends all their lives, yeah. uh, you know, honing, honing their craft and in theory becoming some kind of serious athlete who's going to take part in serious sporting contests, which are supposed to mean something. No, it, it turns out that that's just nonsense, that actually all we want is just um, people we recognize, famous people, you know, um, going through bullshit, which is of, of zero sort of athletic or sporting merit. It's just pure narrative. It's just pure uh, bullshit. Um, and actually, I mean, the thing that amazes me about this is how can this, and I know I'm talking about something here, which isn't the Premier League, but like, it, it is incredible to me that like people will pay to watch this just nonsense where there's nothing at stake. Like there's no, there's nothing at stake, you know, in a, in a traditional, um, prize fight, you've got, you've got two people whose career, whose life is, is boxing, um, you know, what's when they go into the ring, what's on the line for them is their career. You know, if they win, then mm -hmm. that has very different, um, uh, you know, ramifications for their career than if they lose. And their health, you know, their their actual physical health is is all there. This is this is all at stake. And in order to protect these very important, these these sort of precious things, you have to be really good at what you're doing. These guys now, it's just it's just pure nonsense. It doesn't matter what the, what the outcome is. Like Nate Diaz lost the fight. It's not like Nate Diaz cared about that. Like he's just going to the bank. It's just such a shakedown. Like it's so transparently cynical. And I see that Jake Paul is now like mechanically, like, I mean, you can just see the clockwork 
has like called out Conor McGregor, you know, on Twitter and is like, you know, sent a volley of abuse in the direction of Conor McGregor. And I wonder where that could be leading, you know, and, but this is, this is it apparently. This is, this is what, this is what boxing is now. So, I mean, that's maybe, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, football is still some way off that, but in terms of having, in terms of the actual sport, like the sense of it as being, as having something to do with like athletic excellence like that is just so far from the minds of anybody who's in any of the authorities that are running the sport that like you know you can't really be surprised i mean the only thing we you know you know that they're that that they're just introducing all these ridiculous rules and uh and making the game worse and from the player's point of view uh, pretty difficult to get through a season. Sure. Well, okay. Well, look. Thankfully, you've brought us back around to those rules <laughs> and the uh, and and the way that they're going to be implemented in the in the Premier League next season. I mean, the time wasting one is obviously the one that's been in the spotlight more, and this sort of focus on ball in play and how much time is is being played in every Premier League game. And the the idea, I think, what's funny about this is the idea that. Well, now we're going to crack down on time wasting as if they have some mandate to do it that is new that they didn't previously have. But of course they did. Referees can book goalkeepers for time wasting whenever they want. They've been able to do that for as long as they want. Um, You know, one thing that, that, you know, I noticed, you know, last season and the season before the, the six second rule, and it is a rule, the six second rule about, um, goalkeeper having the ball in their hands like you've got goalkeepers routinely with the ball in their hands between 20 and, and 30 seconds and referees and officials have not done anything about it and now we're going to go into a, a new season where probably because of the, the way this stuff is being communicated or not being communicated like you know Community Shield the other day like I know there are a lot of Arsenal fans in the in the stadium who had no idea about this new rule that when a player goes off, they've got to wait 30 seconds to come back on. They're all going crazy because Odegaard wasn't being let back on the pitch, but they had no idea that this is, you know, one of the new the new sort of guidelines that's in there. I mean, do you think this is going to make football better or people just more angry about officiating? Because I, I have a feeling it's going to be the latter more than the former. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the whole thing, it's like, it's like when Father Ted tries to fix the car. Remember when he, he's got like a dent in the car and he, and he says, Oh, just uh, takes the hammer and I'll just fix it. I'll just, <laughs> and then, you know, that's what, that's what, uh, it reminds me of this whole, this whole process of, of trying to change the rules to get what? I don't, I don't know. Because like, I mean, now it's all about, Oh, we want fast, continuous action. You know, we want, we want 60 minutes of ball and play, you know, and has to be, you know, the fans are being shortchanged, right? But five minutes ago it was, we need uh, accurate refereeing, you know? And, and so what's happened with this, uh, we need, we need uh, to bring in technology. We need to bring in video uh, reviews in order to make sure that we always get the right decisions. And so, we do that, and what happens? You just get loads of pauses in the game, which like break the rhythm of the game, mm. and, and you know everyone is standing around, and it's particularly shit if you're actually in the stadium, and you know it's like oh you know, and 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 at the end they still get loads of decisions wrong. Okay, but that that that, that was sort of yesterday. So what are we complaining about now? Oh, there are too many pauses in the game. The the rhythm of the game isn't what it was. Time is slipping away. You know, we we also had to bring in the 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 five substitutes. Mm. The five substitutes is a response to, uh, I guess, the point of view of Varane, where he's saying that, uh, oh, you know, we're we're being asked to do too much. I mean, Jurgen Klopp was probably the most vocal person demanding it 
uh, in the Premier League. But that also introduces breaks in play which weren't there before. Yeah. And, you know, this is like uh, – or, or – uh, aspects of disruption to the rhythm of a game, and you can change obviously far more players in the game. It's it's like half the outfield players are often going to be are, are often not going to finish the game. Um, so you've got these things which have which have brought in uh, a lot of disruptive events to the rhythm of the game. And now it's suddenly like, where's the rhythm of the game gone? You know, let's let's play and play and play. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is like. What about if, what? What if you've got to get a train or something? You know, the, the, obviously nobody will have kind of considered that. Like, I mean, what this this match has gone on sort of twenty minutes longer than uh, th- than like the previous the previous season's match. You know, th- that's going to happen like mm. lots of times this season. So, like, you know, is, is that like who really? Who really wants this? Like, I mean, the players don't want it. The referees, according to uh, Kevin De Bruyne, who was talking about it, you know, don't want it. Um, I don't know who wants it. I guess, I guess it's more stuff to put on, on TV. Yeah, maybe you get another ad break in there because you've got a longer program or you can schedule uh, a longer program. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at some of the other bits and bobs that are going on, and you know, uh, leniency on physical challenges is another guideline on the pitch as an attempt to allow the game to flow better and reduce stoppages. A higher threshold will be applied to contact be- uh, between players, meaning there should be fewer free kicks awarded for incidents which last season might well have been penalised for being overly physical. And this I mean, is it's another amazing. One. You know, you saw Rodri in the, in the Community Shield. Yeah, I, of course I saw him. It was like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't. Like, if you've got inconsistency with the application of the rules within 90 minutes from one referee, how is that going to play out over the course of a season where you've got different referees who will decide what a level of contact is that is merit uh, merits a free kick, et cetera, et cetera? And this is a bit like the, the whole let it flow thing, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there was a fear, I think, with the let it flow thing that somebody might get badly injured because players were going, okay. I can uh, I can have a right go here because it, I'm being allowed to to flow. The game is being allowed to flow, so I can get stuck in. And these are kind of these sort of abstract guidelines rather than absolute rules, which of course are open to interpretation. And the subjective nature of physical contact, of refereeing, and all the rest of it, it, it just strikes me as like this is going to be. We're going to see a lot of really bad red cards in the opening part of the season that you will not see in the second part of the season because then somebody will say well this is bullshit you know we're we're we've too many games where it's 10 against 11 or 9 against 11 or 9 against 10 and that's not what people are paying for either yeah uh, you know it's it's the the kind of let it flow thing is just oh my god like why incentivize fouls like that's what it does. Mm. Basically, says you'll probably get away with this foul, so foul more. You know what I mean? That's that, that that it's so it's so obvious that that's the the outcome. You get the opposite outcome to the one that you want. They also are insisting that like players won't be allowed to disrespect the referee anymore. Yeah, you know? we've 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 had it. They're the only rule. That's this is the only rule that we're actually going to enforce now. Automatic bookings, if you you know say boo to the referee. So it's a uh, Varan actually mentioned that in his post, which was I said post there. Um, his tweet. tweet. Uh, let's, let's stay Varane, old school here. <laughs> Varane, he, longer games, more intensity, and less emotions to be shown by the players. You know what I mean? So so you're going to be out there for like 110, 115 minutes. Uh, 
people are going to be allowed kicking in the back or like drag you to the ground as you as you are breaking away on a counter attack. But if you get up and uh, and show annoyance at that point, then you'll get booked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just the whole thing is it's just so stupid. I mean, the everything about it, it just reeks of stupidity. The rules are there. Just enforce enforce the rules like you know i i always i mean there seems to have been quite a lot of these changes um just over the last few years you know from far and subs to this and i'm kind of like i know that it's reactionary at a, at a certain or it's you 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 think of oh, this person is old and fears change you know he doesn't understand anything anymore and he fears change and thinks let's go back to the way things were but it, it is a fact i think that you know there was a football did have a pretty good run you know, without without too many mm. of these sorts of changes being made. You know, I know that the 1990 World Cup, after that, they did bring in changes. You know, the back pass rule is the, the biggest one. Um, and that this did, I think, improve the game. You know, like, let's not tackle people from behind anymore. Yeah. And let's uh, not, let, not, not let a goalkeeper to pick up back passes. And these were positive uh, changes. But I don't really think that the game that 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 sort of proceeds to unfold for the for the next thirty years was really in need of all of this like sort of surgery that's being done to it now. You know, it just seems like this, this works. Like, in the, actually, the 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 I mean, the best football any of us have probably seen, um, you know, is 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 probably the kind of Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid, you know, Messi, Ronaldo era. I mean, that was kind of like. Wow, you know, that yeah. certainly at the time it was like this is no one's we've never seen the like of this before, you know. And looking back, I think it still looks pretty good. That was like an intensely policed game, you know what I mean? In terms of the oh, Spanish referees will give free kicks for anything, you know. But like the fact is that that actually encourages fast technical play more than you know, just boot, just boot him. You know, it's fine. Get up. You know, this yeah. guy is on the ground whinging. Buck that guy. You know what I mean? Like this is just this is just mindless. Like it's just it's just so um, to to my eyes, obviously stupid. Uh, and yet here we are. But I mean, do you, I mean, do you or would you accept the idea that referees in general, um, you know, that that football can improve in the way that players and managers interact with referees as opposed to some other sports. I know football is very different. It's almost unique in, in that regard. So perhaps some efforts to cut out uh, very obvious shows of dissent. You know, we saw Partey booked uh, in the Community Shield. We saw Alvarez booked in the Community Shield, not for booting the ball away, but for just sort of nudging the ball away when a free kick was given. And that now is a, an immediate yellow card. And of course, you have the idea now that uh, managers... There's new rules for managers or, or people on the sidelines in terms of you know what you're allowed to do in your technical area, not coming out of your technical area. That feels like uh, uh, the Richard Keyes rule uh, that, oh. that's come into play. And obviously, yeah. you know, as an Arsenal fan, watching Mikel Arteta on the sideline is is quite amusing. I'm sure you know fans of other clubs don't take it quite as much, but you know he has a way of operating on the sidelines, which you know let's face it isn't unique because Jurgen Klopp has done it and Jose Mourinho has done it and pretty much every manager who gets invested in the emotion of a game you know gets a bit carried away because there's so much at stake in terms of their jobs and points and league table and and all the rest of it I mean how do you 
how do you balance that idea that, okay, referees should be respected because it trickles down into the way referees are treated at grassroots level and all that kind of stuff versus, you know, the reality of, uh, you know, what these guys are are uh, trying to produce and the stakes in which they are trying to do that? Yeah, I mean, the, the point about managers is interesting. I mean, obviously, managers sh- should not do this kind of stuff. Like, remember Klopp against... Um, was it Tottenham last season where uh, Liverpool scored at the last minute having led a 3-0 lead, get back to 3-all, and he ran over to um, get in the face of wh- whoever the fourth official was, I can't remember, and like actually mm. pull his hamstring as he did it because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, as he was lurching over. <laughs> that was just, that was ridiculous. You know what I mean? It was, But it was funny. It, it, I mean, it was, it was funny, but like I, don't think, I think that was a case where people were laughing at Klopp rather than, rather than with him. But, you know, I mean, we've seen this kind of, they're saying you can't go on the field anymore to shout at the referee. And of course, like, you shouldn't do that. But, like, also consider what happens to managers who just sit there calmly. You know, the, the fans all start screaming that their manager is a cook loser. Like, uh, you know, Louis van Gaal. Remember Louis van, when mm. Louis van Gaal was the Man United manager? He would sit there. He had, like, this little leather valise where he had some papers. And he'd put that on his lap. And he'd sit there and, like, watch the game. And, you know, at the end, there was one time when he jumped up and he, he, um, Lay on he the threw ground, himself to he? the <laughs> ground. Yeah, to, to show what a, you know, that was a, a kind of a rare show. And it was probably, you know, th- this was a celebrated moment by the fans because the fans apparently want the manager to run around and to perform, you know, like a Conte or, um, th- you know, this is, people like this. You know, that's, that, it's showmanship, like Klopp does. You know, mm. I mean, a lot, a lot of the stuff that he does is more positive. Like, there is a nasty sort of edge to that. But the thing is that if you don't do that, then everyone's like, this guy's a loser. You know, he just he just sits there. He's so passive, you know. So what are you yeah. supposed to do? Like, I mean, obviously the the manager is going to be more concerned about what his own supporters think about him than what the referee thinks about him. Um, you know, and and actually, some of them do believe that certain referees have have got grudges against. I mean, again, was again Klopp? Which referee was it? He he was singling out. Oh um, yeah, it was the the guy <laughs> the Tierney. Guy. Is it Paul? Tierney, Tierney. Yeah, Paul Paul Tierney. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he, he he genuinely believes that Paul Tierney is 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 involved in some kind of conspiracy against him. I don't know if there are other people involved. But it's just a one man um, vendetta that Paul Tierney is having against Jurgen Klopp. But like, I mean, he, he genuinely believes this, you know. Uh, so it's it's difficult. I mean, you know, to imagine yourself in that position where you feel you're. I mean, obviously, you want to win. For you know, you're deeply invested in your in your team. Um, and its chances, and you're you're a pretty kind of a a wound up kind of person anyway, because that's why you're a football manager. Mm. And then you've got like uh, forty or fifty thousand people screaming and sicking you onto the referee. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, I, I think people at some point are just are just sort of channeling uh, all. It's 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 difficult to expect them to, uh, you know, to at all points observe the kind of rules of the court I, I mean part of it is like it's it, it's part of the problem that that you know there's always a camera on them so you can see every little uh every every little behavioral um uh, dysfunction you know what i sure. mean you can you can see it all but you also have to perform all the time like it's it's kind of immensely stressful you know like another you know, way say say during the women's world cup there um i think start to develop about some of the american women aren't singing the national anthem you know what I mean? Like the, mm. it's it's an example of a kind of a detail which would not have been noticed before, really. You know what I mean? Like it's I mean maybe it's not the best example, but like there's just 
everything is noticed now and and small details are are magnified and sort of amplified yeah and the, it, that also creates the feeling that you you are actually the whole thing kind of has to become a performance, including like what a manager is doing in the sideline. Previous generations of managers were kind of just talking to the people who were right there in front of them. You know what I mean? Whereas now they're kind of performing for the entire worldwide audience and they know they're being judged on how they behave in these moments. And actually the fact is that um, that being good, you know, in the sense of oh, uh, obediently following the guidelines of respect and how to uh, deal with... Uh, you know, refereeing setbacks, let's say, you know, behaving in the, in the, in the sort of cool headed manner of sportsmanship doesn't go down well with football fans. They actually want to see you engaging in sort of wrestling type behavior. You know, you know, they want to see you taking it to the, uh, to the officials, you know, fighting for the, fighting for the club. And like, it's, mm. it's, it's pretty, it's a difficult situation. These guys are in. Yeah, it is. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know what happens and how it happens. You know, I don't know if I believe this or not, but Gary Neville, you know, talked about how apparently Mikel Arteta was, you know, cited as one of the reasons why they're bringing in uh, this uh, these new rules ahead of the new season. So, I mean, what is, what is it Arteta supposed to have done? Like, I mean, I watched like all of Arsenal last season, and uh, I mean, it's it's mainly just a kind of a hobby horse of Richard Keyes that I yeah. that I'm sort of aware of this. You know what I mean? And he's got this whole like obsession with Arteta in the technical area. He comes well, out he of is, his technical he's area. He's just one blogger bit. slash broadcaster. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. he's not that powerful. Well, um, he's put enough spotlight on it. Maybe it's just the, the, the sort of uh, levels of Arsenal fans roasting him every time he said anything. Uh, Arsenal Twitter doing its thing that has become that. I mean, I'm not sure I believe uh, Gary Neville in the sense that, you know, this one guy has changed everything about the way referees and coaches are expected to behave in, in the technical area, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Let's sort of move on to talk a bit of football and talk uh, about some of the teams that are going to be front and center in this premier league, Manchester city treble winners. I mean, is there motivation? The fact that no team has won four in a row in England, is that something that they can, they can do or overcome. I mean, I watched Community Shield on Sunday. Someone said to me, um, uh, Lewis Ambrose, who does some stuff for the site, you know, the first sort of 20 minutes of that game was basically a real-life equivalent of that Simpsons bit about soccer. Mexico versus Portugal. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I find their football hard to connect with, you know, in general. and It was mind-numbing. It was, it was absolutely mind-numbing. But, uh, you know... Uh, you can't, I don't think, put all the blame on City for that. It was also it was the the combination of the the approach City decided to take and the approach Arsenal decided to take in response to that. Yeah. Um, if if Arsenal had gone running after the ball and had um, you know had, had done basically what City wanted them to do, which is come running for the ball and get passed around, and so suddenly City are in with with a three on three. Um, then it probably would have been more exciting, certainly for Man City fans. But, I mean, that's what <laughs> I mean, we did last season, though. So I think there's a, an element of lesson learned there from an Arsenal perspective in that, like, they know City can uh, play more directly and go over the press. So it was a case of, well, look, fool me once, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, they're going to... Uh, I mean, it was it was interesting. Like, it was the real uh, kind of deserby stuff from City, right? You know, this whole... Uh, mm. 
well, let's bait the press and let's get them to let's you know before we 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 don't do anything until they basically come chasing the ball practically up to our penalty area and then we will move forward quickly and it'll be like a counterattack and you're like yeah okay are you going to do this in every game this season because there's going to be a lot of really boring opening half hours in man city games if that's the case i mean it's one thing if city are leading to do that you mm. know then you then you're like oh god you know imagine Imagine how difficult the situation is now once Man City have got the first goal against you. But I think when playing City, a lot of Premier League teams are going to be quite happy to, they, you know, nil-nil would be great. Nil-nil yeah. is a great result against City as far as almost every team in the league is concerned. I mean, if you were offered two nil-nils for Arsenal against Man City in the league now, you'd probably say, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, at least we're not giving up any points to them. Sure. Um, so uh, I, I think City will probably have to be a bit more... Um, proactive i mean it's fine to do that when you're leading but like against any team would be crazy to to do what they wanted to play into their hands when they're doing this um but you know at some point you have to also score yourself if you're if you're city so yeah i don't know like i mean it's like you, you on one level you have to kind of admire uh, guardiola uh in terms of his uh, determination to always kind of keep evolving keep changing you know we've got to try it we can't do this we can't come back and just do the same thing we've got to keep moving forward and moving forward and you know that worked really well certainly last season when he changed the whole thing halfway through the season and they you know end up winning the treble um and you have to admire the way he's not intimidated at all by the public or pu the public reaction you know like his hero that the guy in them um, the chef uh, for an Adria, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> like this, this. Uh, <laughs> I'm pushing the front, pushing back the frontiers of gastronomy so far at El Bougie, El Bougie, that it actually cost me a fortune to run, and I can't actually afford to keep the restaurant open anymore. So I have to close the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, people are queuing up, or there's like a three-year waiting list to, to eat at this place. But I'm sorry, I, just, I have to close it down. I'm sorry, no mushroom foam for you. Yeah. So you know, he. he 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 doesn't care. Like I, honestly, I was watching that first half hour and going, "This is absurd." Like I can't. Believe, what what are we all here watching this for? Can someone like, can someone text <laughs> me when something happens in this game? You know, you're like looking at the at the city um, press baiting machine, and you're like, "This is kind of cool." Uh, is it going to do anything? You know, mm. <laughs> and eventually the kind of the chaos, eventually the quarter is always trying to keep it bay, just did creep into the game and things started to happen. And, and, uh, there was a deflection and all the best laid plans, uh, ended up at Arsenal winning the community shield. So I don't know, like, I mean, it's always, it's interesting on a kind of a, uh, in a theoretical way, what city are doing, but like, you know, it's not, <laughs> Yeah, do I do I want to watch Aderson and Diaz and Stones pass the ball to each other for half an hour? No, like no, no. no. So um, yeah, it, that it's going to be. Um, uh, I wonder if they're going to be able to stick to that throughout the season. No, I mean, I guess uh, a bit will depend as well on what else they do in the transfer market because they've lost you know a couple of exciting players in in Gundogan who was very uh, influential, Mares. You know, a great option uh, from the right. And they have brought in uh, Kovacic and mm. uh, another 
top quality centre half in Vardial, you know, his collection of, of very, very good central defenders. It's a bit like George Graham back in the day. He just seems yeah. to collect central defenders right now. But they are after, seems like they're after Lucas Paqueta from from West Ham. West Ham, as we know, not the easiest to deal with in the, in the transfer market this summer. Mm. Well, unless they're trying to buy your players, buying their players may be a bit more uh, difficult. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Gunnigan is. I mean, they're going to miss him. Like he was huge for them in the last uh, uh, second half of the season. Yeah, you know, I mean, Kovacic, I think, is a really good player, but he's not. He's not going to score goals like Gunnigan did. Um, at least he never has done. You no. know, maybe may, maybe maybe in this team we'll we'll start to see that that side of his game. You know, which which he's kept hidden from us until now. Uh, I mean, I think he can definitely play, you know, Man City football. Like, he's technically really good. Um, so on that level, it's kind of it's kind of like for like. But something about the way Gundogan was coming up with big goals for them, you know, these things like uh, that's that's hard to replace. Mares uh, is one of their top goal, con- goal and assists contributors. Um, even last season, I think he was third in the squad. Maybe he was second. Mm. Um you know, he was, uh, I think, really good, although ultimately someone who Guardiola could take or leave, I think, maybe a bit too much of an individualist for Guardiola. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Alvarez this season because I, he he looks really brilliant to me. Um, and kind of, you know, this, this I assume is part of the logic of letting Mares go is that, well, this guy, we have to find a way for this guy into the team Somehow, mm. uh, what his best position is, I'm not really sure, but he is the kind of player who I think can play in a, a few different attacking positions. Um, his main the position where he'd probably like to play, he's obviously not going to play because uh, as long as Erling Haaland is fit, he's going to play. And it's for, you know, when it's 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 still just very difficult. Like, Haaland does what he did last season again. Like, how can anyone stop these guys from winning the league? I mean, it's a fact that no one's won the league four times in a row. It has something to do with, you know, once you've won it three times, it's hard to make the same effort. Yeah. You know? And that's really, everyone's just going to be looking at City hoping. That that's the case, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, how can, how can it not be the case to some extent? You know, right, lads, we're going to become the first team to win four in a row. It's like, ugh, who cares at that point? You know what I mean? No one, it's not a, that's not a motivation. Um, really, you know, it's like, no. Oh, no one's ever won four in a row before. Let's be the first. We'll go down in history. I mean, do you, uh, do you think it's important for the Premier League that somebody else wins it next season? Because what if City won now? Five out of six? I mean, is it actually important for the Premier League that another club, and obviously, you know, I hope it's Arsenal, uh, wins the Premier League? Because, you know, there is this sort of acceptance of what City are, how they are, what they are. You know, the the, the sort of combination of brilliance because you can't ignore the fact that Guardiola is a brilliant coach but also you know all the stuff behind the scenes and the finances and the 115 charges and all the rest of it all the stuff all the stuff that everybody knows about the way this Man City project has been constructed that is is sort of there's an artifice to it you know but the Premier League like it's repulsive you know the 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 project is not I don't think it has appeal to anybody apart from Man City um, fans. Man, yeah, if, you, if you're a Man City fan, even I, I don't know. Like, I mean, <clears throat> I was about to say, even if you're a Man City fan, how can you really like this? But I suppose you just you just kind of compartmentalize a, a little bit. But like, it is just nonsense. 
I think absolutely it is um, because the Man City are not, not really, I mean, they're not attractive champions at all from, from the point of the view of the Premier League. Um, this is just not, this is not a sporting story. Man City's dominance of the Premier League is like a kind of an encapsulation of what's wrong with football. You know, it's like it, on a kind of a basic level, I think most people who look at it can kind of sense that like, uh, you know, a wealthy uh, emirate decides to buy a football team and like dominate a league for years and years through kind of brute financial firepower mm. is like, has got nothing to do with sport. You know, it's just like, and then they, and then, you know, then, then you've got all the, the, uh, the charges. Oh, you've broken this rule. You've broken that rule. Like, and, and yet you, you continue to go on anyway. Like, this is just like, really, is this, this is, this is what we're doing now. Mm. Like, this is, you know, there's, there's something about it, which, uh, is, I mean, I, I, I don't think from the point of view of the Premier League, this is good at all. I mean, the Premier League, okay. Doesn't seem to have any problems. Uh, yet, in terms of its uh, uh, its popularity, its appeal, you know, I haven't. It's not as though people are like canceling subscriptions in droves because they're sick of Man City. Um, that's not the case. Uh, so, from that point of view, maybe it doesn't uh, matter to them. But like, I I feel as though this is kind of hollowing something out. Like, this is kind of like, oh. I mean, the know, indi- this- there's an indifference, isn't there, to Manchester City in the sense that, like, you can recognize that it's a very good team, but just not give a fuck about what they do because of because of everything else. And I think the Premier League's answer in some ways to, to what Manchester City have done or what the Manchester City project has been is to allow others, you know, and we can see what's going on at Newcastle. Um, whether they ever get to that level, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, mm. But they have even greater fina- uh, finances or financial depth than 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 Manchester City, and we don't know quite what's going to happen with Manchester United yet as well, mm. uh, in terms of in terms of their ownership. So, I mean, look, it all goes back to Abramovich. It all goes back to what happened at Chelsea and the you know the stable door. Um, you can't close it when all the fucking horses have bolted and and they're way down the line now. But you yeah. know, from a from a sporting perspective, whatever is left in the Premier League. I think it needs somebody else to win it. I think it needs to demonstrate that there is, despite the fact that there's competition, right? You can say it's a strong league and there is competition and there is, um, you know, the rivals and there are good games and very good teams and they can all take points off each other and the technical level is extremely high. When one team wins five out of six, you know, you're in the sort of realms of, the Bundesliga of um, Liga, et cetera, et cetera. And they carry on and everything else. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a new thing for English football. I think even when you've had teams like United, when you've had teams like Liverpool who have dominated for periods, it was not to this extent. No, no, they didn't. 97 and 2001. Yeah. They won 99, 2000, 2001, didn't they? And then Arsenal were, were either side of that, you know? So even then when, when United were, you know, the best I, I team that think, was though, a there's dominant. No, there's no comparison between no, I between Manchester United when they what they did and what City are doing. There's no there's no comparison. No, I'm not I'm not comparing it. I'm just saying that when that 
when United were as good as they were, there was a genuine rival as well. Everybody cared about it. Yeah. Like, you know, they were, they, that team was hated by everybody else, more or less. <laughs> everybody else. Like, everyone was interested in their games. You know, everyone was interested in the, them losing. Mm. Uh, but, you know, when they won, it was like, well, you know, this team is pretty good. Like, I mean, it's kind of amazing. You know, all these, all these young players, you know, you know, that, that kind of a, it was a, it's, it's a completely, it can't be compared to it to this no. Man City thing, which is like this kind of, you know, like a, it's it's like um, manufactured, manufactured sort of like a, it's like a sort of spaceship that's hovering over the rest of the Premier League. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't see, it's not on the same level. It's like it doesn't feel like they're playing by the same rules. I mean, they're they're obviously accused of breaking rules, but it kind of feels like yeah, you know, it's just sort of the. They're sort of on on easy mode here. They're not. They don't really face the same kind of problems as other teams have got. And the terrible thing about it is now that you've got this. Now that they're just doing this, uh, everyone else wants to do it too. I mean, obviously there aren't. There ultimately is a finite number of um, of uh, Emirates who want to uh, do soft power uh, projects in quite this uh, this type of way. I mean, I suppose that maybe someone will tap a new seam. You know, insane tech billionaires or something you know even then like i mean we talk a lot that some people say you shouldn't about the intersection between politics and football people have been doing this for a long time but but previously when people talked about this they were always talking about politics as as being something that had kind of emanated from the fans or like the culture surrounding the game and you know how that kind of played into things that were happening in those countries what we have now is international politics like um international politics from the persian gulf which appeared to be deciding outcomes in, <laughs> in european football you know and the we've got like uh newcastle owned by saudi arabia because it seems that like Mohammed bin Salman was kind of going, why, why are these guys in Qatar and Abu Dhabi like getting all the credit? Like, you know, we're better than them. Like, I mean, why, why are we not getting some mm. of that action? You know what I mean? And, then, and, and now they're in. And because, they, and because this is like, because nobody can compete or nobody has ultimately been able to compete with what Man City are doing, you've got uh, the only club actually over the last five uh, or six years that has put up any resistance to city in terms of you know running them close for tiles is liverpool and look what's happening there at the moment you've got like a a, a huge number of liverpool fans saying oh you know this is a joke like i mean they, they don't have the money to fsg doesn't have the money to compete at the top of the premier league we need to get in you know we need to get in proper owners and and by by which they obviously mean somebody like the people who own manchester city or the people who own Newcastle United. So it's a case of, but like consider how insane that statement is, right? They don't have the money to compete at the top of the Premier League anymore. We're talking here about Liverpool Football Club. Sure. Now, right? I mean, so, th so th this has been one of the top earning clubs in the world, in the world of football for, I mean, since they started doing this, uh, you know, Deloitte stuff mm. 20, 25 years ago. But so, but if you look at the last five or six years, like the Klopp era, they've been kind of in the top three. You know, they've been, they've been right up at the very top of these turnover lists. And they're, apparently they can't afford to, they can't afford to compete. You know, I mean, <laughs> isn't that isn't that just a consequence? Is, this is not good. Hmm? No, it's not good. I mean, that is a consequence, though, of the ownership that has been allowed to to run Manchester City and is now being allowed to run Newcastle. That when the bar gets pushed higher and higher and higher, 
know, the perception that the playing field is completely unlevel, uh, you know, will be, you know, widespread, I think. And, and you can understand why, because you know, Manchester City have, have won five out of six. And, you know, who knows? I'm not saying it will happen. Like, you have Newcastle win five out of six at some point. It'd just be like, well, what's the fucking point? We might as well, we might as well give up here. Uh, Cans. That's what they'd say. Cans. Like, I mean, the, the, the reaction to the whole Newcastle takeover was just, ugh. You know the the, the sort of uh, the unbridled joy of the of the Newcastle fans. Wow, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. You know what I mean? It's like, but I mean they were a, they were suffering with 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 Mike Ashley. So it's literally anybody else. It doesn't matter who comes along with a bag of money is going to be welcomed in. You yeah. know that's this I, isn't really Newcastle though. Like I mean, this yeah, is. But what is Newcastle? What's any? This I, is Saudi. This is sort of Saudi Arabia now. Sure, you're Saudi. You're Saudi Arabian fans now. You're part of a, you're, you're, you're the kind of the backgrounds characters in a billboard celebrating Mohammed bin Salman's vision 2030. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that, that, you know, that, that's it. You've been hired as extras in like a Saudi a propaganda movie. But is, you know, isn't one of the great abilities of football fans, the sort of cognitive dissonance that goes with, you know, when you're at this level of the game, whether it's, um, you know, whoever owns you, there are going to be question marks over, you know, where they got their money, their politics, you know, all of those things, sponsors, you, you've got to be able to put it to one side because ultimately your your love and your passion is for the football team. And of course, this is why all of this happens. This is why it's easy for those uh, for people, you know, to come in and to co-opt all the good things about football because they, you know, it's sort of unshakable for the most part. There are people who will say, that's it, I'm walking away, I can't take this anymore. But, you know, for the most part, people just want to watch their football team because that's what they've done all their lives. Yeah, yeah. I wonder uh, how unshakable it is. I mean, baseball used to be considered unshakable and, like, it's just old people who watch that now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the the crowds at Premier League games are getting older and older and older. I mean, this is something I'm sure I've, we've spoken about this before. But like, the, the average age is going up, like, nearly a year every year. You know? It's mm. like, so, you know, maybe maybe that's just going to keep going. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it will just keep going forever. But, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, this, the Premier League... Is it is it as is it really kind of a sustainable thing? I mean, at the moment, it's sort of really on top, sort of lording it over all the other leagues. But I don't know. I mean, I mean are you reconvinced that by the by the uh, the foundations of this? I mean, I know that it goes back a long way. Sure. Um, but what there, what it is now just seems to bear very little relation to what it actually was in the past it's just sort of it's just branding it's just wallpaper well i mean i i think that's also a consequence or or a reflection of the world that we live in and the the way the media has changed and and those things as well i mean the talk of the premier league bubble bursting has been going on for a long time and it doesn't seem to ever burst i mean it might do at some point but as long as the best players are here as long as all the money is in the premier league you know i think uh i think it will continue to expand question you know i mean Mm. What what happens if the if Saudi Arabia really is serious about it? What if it well, yeah, what yeah. If it, maybe you know for New, for Newcastle, it turns out they're like they've been downgraded. They're actually only a supporting character, a bit part player in the uh, in the <clears throat> propaganda uh, exercise. The main thrust of which is actually going to happen in the Saudi Pro League. You mm. know, I mean, because I have to say, what's been happening there really is, uh, you know, has has taken me by surprise. Uh, 
just since, I mean, when Ruben Neves went, you know, you're like, wow, that's, I mean, that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's not quite. Uh, it's not Ronaldo. You no, know, exactly. Ronaldo is like, oh, come on, I'm, I'm 38 yeah. or whatever. They're offering me like uh, 200 million. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, you're going to take it, right? I mean, like, of course. I mean, I mean, it is sort of, in some ways, an existential threat to the Premier League doing exactly what the Premier League did to all the other leagues, just not quite as, as blatantly, if you like. It sort of grew a little bit more. I don't want to use the word organically, sound like some kind of wanker, uh, mm. but you know what I mean. It, it did take time to establish itself as the number one destination. But yeah, and, and you know, and, and also, you know, the Premier League was building on an already existing, you know, century, century old, um, culture, yeah. you know, in terms of a century of a more, more than a century of competitive, of high level competitive football, yeah. which had at various times been considered as the best in the world, you know, before the war at times after the war, um, you know, there was, there was like, this is the world's longest continuous football culture. So when the, when the Premier League also added all of this Murdoch money, uh, you know, it was, a, it was obviously, it wasn't just the money that made English football a big thing. It already was big. Whereas this Saudi football, Saudi, I mean, Saudi domestic football has never really been a thing uh, that no. anyone outside Saudi Arabia is interested in. Um, but if they've got more money than everybody else, and if they're paying higher wages than everybody else, then gravity it's like it's like a, a law of gravity it, it's it's just, that's where the players are gonna are gonna go yeah. and it, it it maybe won't take as long as we think the only question is whether how committed they are to actually doing this that's the only limiting factor no i agree i agree and we've seen uh, throughout this summer players go there who you would not have expected to go there i don't want to get into the the nuts and bolts of that i do i do want to talk a little bit more about some of the individual teams but i want to ask you first about arsenal and what you you think about arsenal's summer and the way arsenal have responded to the disappointment of finishing last season uh, with a bit of a wobble and Manchester City overtook uh, overtook us and, and won the title, obviously. But it was a season of, of genuine progress from an Arsenal perspective. And, uh, you know, I think a couple of seasons in a row now have ended with perhaps salutary lessons in terms of what you need to do when it comes to building your squad. And Arsenal, you know, for all the talk of Manchester City's money, have gone out and spent £100 million on Declan Rice and £65 million on Kai Havertz and another, you know, 35 £40 million on Jurian Timber. And David Raya is coming in from Brentford for £30 million. So Arsenal are doing as much as they can possibly do to try and stay competitive against City and all the other teams in this league. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Yeah, I mean, Arsenal are, seem to be in a really good place. Um, like, I think I think Havertz is a very good player, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, he was phenomenal in his last season um, in the Bundesliga. And Chelsea bought him because at the time, the clubs who might usually buy him, I mean, the club that would usually buy this player is, is obviously Bayern Munich, um, because of COVID, uh, was like, oh... Uh, we suddenly don't really know how much money we've got. Yeah. You know, we're kind of like, oh. And Chelsea just opportunistically, having having kind of pools of cash because of Abramovich, um, went in and, and bought him. They did the same thing with Werner, who you remember was, yeah. uh, he was supposed to join Liverpool at that time. And then, then they were like, oh, hang on. We, we actually don't, they did their usual thing. <laughs> we don't, we're not sure if we have any money. And Chelsea were like, well, we'll take him. You think he's good? You've got a pretty good hit rate in the transfer market. Of course, he seemed to be one of those guys they were signing in the late uh, Liverpool period when all the signings go wrong mm. instead of uh, the, the previous run they had. But uh, so he never, Chelsea basically bought him without a plan uh, as to where they were going to play him. It was purely because they recognized this guy is a, is a top talent who is suddenly available, who would not usually consider actually joining us. And we can get him. So sure. they so they did it, um, and it never really happened for him at Chelsea. But I think that has to do a lot with a lot of you know. I mean, the, the the period that he was there obviously was chaotic. I mean, it never really happened for him. It does include scoring the winning goal in the Champions League final? Yes, um, <laughs> you know, which was kind of again just a, such a, a, a weird uh, like nobody thought Chelsea were the best team in Europe that season. But like it was one of those Champions League uh, campaigns that works out in a kind of a weird way. Um, so obviously, this is like. Uh, this is as good as it gets uh, trophy-wise. But performance-wise, football-wise, I don't think he ever really showed what he's really capable of. And I always thought that he would be better playing as... Now, I know this is this is the thing that Chelsea fans say. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's better when he plays here or he needs to play in a certain role. You know, he needs to have a, a player, a, you know, a right-footed player outside and a left-footed player. But, you know, mm. all this kind of stuff. The, the kind of thing that used to be said about Paul Pogba you know, well, he needs to play on the left of a three or, you know, he needs, this is when he plays his best stuff. You know, And you're like, well, hang on. It, it's apparently you envisage a role of such specificity. Like it's maybe only happened on a couple of football pitches ever in history. Uh, you know, that exactly <laughs> the right role for this player. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is the kind of question mark about Havertz. But I think basically he is a, an attacking midfielder who, um, I, I think he has got physical presence as well. So I could see Havertz, Rice, and Odegaard being a pretty strong three in midfield. You know, where Rice is the anchoring player and Odegaard is the other two. Or, you know, he may be thinking of a kind of a more box-shaped uh, midfield, but Havertz could play in that as well. I think that he's got this potential, um, although it's now up to him to actually prove it because while you can look at Chelsea and say, well, it was kind of chaos. There, there was no plan. There was coaches changing the whole time. The team was changing the whole time. And we never really were able to nail down a proper role or what I was supposed to do in the team. And most of the time he was playing as a false sign, which mm. I don't think is his best position. Um, then again, and so he's at Arsenal, which is a club which, uh, you know, certainly has got clarity at the moment. I mean, a very strong manager with a very clear idea of what he's doing, a fairly a stable squad, um, you know, a, a kind of a clear uh, purpose. That's all 
that's all there. So it's all set up for him. Of course, what happens in his first game, Gabriel Jesus isn't there, so he has to play false nine. So he <laughs> I mean, misses, misses chances. Yeah. So I still think that he's a good signing, though. And then, obviously, Rice is the, the main signing. I mean, Rice is like... I mean, does it say something? I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, about somebody needing to uh, win the Premier League rather than Manchester City. Is there anything to be read into the fact that Declan Rice chose Arsenal over Manchester City? Now, I do think Arsenal put in a lot more groundwork. I think City came in much later, but but of course, the temptation to join a club where you're pretty much guaranteed a shitload of medals and trophies you know, has to be something to, to consider. Nevertheless, you know, he chose Arsenal. Is there something to be said for the perception of what Arsenal are doing right now or where Arsenal could go under this manager and in this current project versus Manchester City? Or is it just like, uh, uh, you know, it's easier to go to Arsenal because, you know, they've they've sold me on a really good project. I can be integral. I also don't have to move out of London, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it has to do with London. I think it has to do with, you know, it, it reminds me a bit of uh, Virgil van Dijk joining Liverpool rather than Man City, who also wanted to sign him at that time, and also mm. Chelsea. Um, uh, it, that's that's kind of what it reminds me of. I think he, I think he looks at it and thinks, I could do this. Like you know, if I I can win the Premier League with Arsenal, and if it happens, it's going to be so much bigger than it would be to win the Premier League with Man City. Mm. Because Man City have won, it's it's five of the last six, right? Yeah. So they usually win the league. So you'd just be another in these kind of procession of players coming in and, you know, maybe the Pep would leave you on the bench for three months or repurpose you into a left-sided central defender. <laughs> you know, no, really. I mean, <laughs> no, that, that's, no, no. I, 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 when, 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 when they were looking at signing him, I, I thought, well, to be honest, I thought the reason they're doing this is to make Arsenal pay more. That was really what I... I thought their interest was. Mm. Um, I mean, you've seen them do it with Sanchez, with Ronaldo, um, before they jo- ended up joining Manchester United, uh, with Maguire even to a certain extent, I think. I mean, you know, did, did Cordiano really want to buy Maguire? But I think mm, they kind of suggested so. that they might, <laughs> uh, which is how Maguire ended up costing $80 million. Um, so, you know, they, they, they do have a bit of a record of doing this sort of thing. But... Um, but ultimately, like, you, it, there is a sense there that you, you would be a kind of a cog in a machine. Like, yeah, you get the medals. You know, it's like it's like Grealish or whatever. Grealish at the moment, oh, I've got all the medals, you know. It's like, you were much better at Villa. I'm sorry. He's, <laughs> that, and that's still true. Even after last season, I know he, play, he actually played very well last season. You know, he after the, after the World Cup anyway, he... You know, it was the first spell of his city career. He was continuously or very often in the team because Foden kind of got bombed out. And um, Grealish was in and he was doing well uh, and he was winning nearly every game and he was playing some good stuff. (laughs) I think think it was still, I just think it's Villa. He he was more himself at Villa. Sure. Like it's, you can't really be yourself in a Guardiola team. It's not about you. It's about him, right? It's about him. It's about the system. It's about the team. And like, that's, that's, that's fair enough. Like, I mean, he is the best coach. Like he, he is bigger than any of the players and he has sort of earned that status. Um, but like, there's more to life than, you know, winning trophies for Pep Guardiola. Sure. So I, I think the, you know, to be the opportunity to be a real hero for Arsenal is what has, 
like he he knows that he goes there he can become a huge player in this team i don't was that opportunity really there at man city maybe maybe but with arsenal it's it's definitely there for him he can do it yeah um they could win the league and imagine if they did uh as opposed to these these sort of city things where you know it all ends up like trump's inauguration where everyone is like oh there was loads of people there you know and, <laughs> we have loads of fans you know this kind of nonsense, like, <laughs> yeah. like uh if if Arsenal were to finally win the league after what twenty one years it is yeah twenty one twenty years now twenty years. twenty years no. I mean, twenty years yeah. this year yeah two thousand and four yeah. I mean that's longer than the uh, yeah we've already gone it's the longest ever Arsenal drought now right I can't remember if it's the longest ever but certainly in modern times there was seventy one to eighty nine and then there was yeah. ninety one and ninety one to ninety so yeah it is certainly in modern times um, I'd have to go back and look at the thirties and fifties and things like that. Um, but, you know, certainly in the modern era, it is. And, uh, yeah, it's overdue. And I think, you know, I do think you're right that there is more to be gained um, if you can do it at Arsenal. It's, and just, maybe, it's a challenge. Like, I mean, it, I'm, I mean that's I'm, part I'm sure of it maybe during the well. first half hour of that game on, on Sunday, he was like, he was thinking, Jesus, this is, this is ridiculous. Have we touched the – have we – like, this is – is this what we're supposed to be? Like, mm. you know, um, but at the end of the day, he won, he won the Community Shield. So he's won trophies in the last two matches. Quickly on a few of the others, I mean, we talked about Newcastle in abstract terms, but it feels to me maybe that that their top four finish last season has them a little bit ahead of schedule. Of course, there's still a few weeks to go in the in the transfer window and they could do business. Um, how do you think they're going to cope on, on two fronts again? You know, they're not going to be a surprise package, of course. Next season, everybody kind of knows how Newcastle want to play. Uh, they might be a bit better prepared for it at times this season, and then they, uh, you know, they have to deal with Europe and squad depth, and all those things become a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think they um, they need to, they probably need to add some more players, you know, because one thing that that Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall like to do is pick a pretty settled team, mm. you know. Um, they had, they had like six of the players I think started more than 30 or, or played more than 30 matches worth of minutes. You know, if you see like the desperation, uh, there were, there were moments that last season when Bruno Gamarais, um, get, get, you know, took a blow to the ankle sort of situation. And it's like, we'll do anything to not take, not have to take this guy off. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Limping around all his ankle. I thought that was the kind of a thing that happened a few times last season, but it's like, no, you're staying on like the, there's a kind of uh there was a real core of players um that played nearly every game for them and it's difficult to do that when you also have to play the um champions league which obviously is going to be huge you know because i've been in since for, for what 20 years i guess um so uh i think they'll, they'll probably need to bring uh, more i mean i think harvey barnes is is a pretty useful player yeah um they've signed uh livermento they've signed sandro tonali um you know uh these are not necessarily spectacular signs i mean livermento plays in trippier's position trippier was the guy who played more minutes last season than anyone for them in the league so maybe they're intending to, to use him somewhere else i don't know he's pretty high-end cover if he's if that's all he is um tonali uh i suppose maybe is looking to take some minutes off <clears throat> Sean, Sean Longstaff. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it doesn't seem like that 
exciting signing, but they have, I don't know, I mean, they, they may not yet be finished. I mean, I'd say that the strange thing from Newcastle's point of view is kind of discovering that maybe they're not the star asset in the Saudi portfolio. You know, it's kind of like, well, hang on a second, you know, mm. is it, you know, maybe they would have expected there to be more, but like, as I think I agree with what you said in terms of they're clearly ahead of schedule. Like that, I certainly did not expect them to get anywhere near the Champions League. I mean, a few things had to happen, you know, uh, the collapse of Chelsea, the collapse of Liverpool, um, the the collapse of Tottenham in the later um, part of last season. Oh, yeah, All of these funny, things yeah. kind of came together for them. They just made it in the end. Um, but they did, they did develop a very kind of, uh, they became very solid. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, kind of a solid, like determined, hard to beat sort of pig of a team. Um, <laughs> Which you know, which is good when you're when you're sort of on the up, you know, like a kind yeah. of uh, a knife between the teeth, you know. Let's go, let's uh, you know. These guys say, these guys say we've got the lowest ball in play time in the league. I don't know if you saw that clip of Eddie Howe. No, no. Um, they've got a documentary coming out, you know, <clears throat> and this was how Eddie Howe chose to motivate his players ahead of the Man United game. Eric Ten Hag has said that we have the lowest ball in play time in the league. Well, if they want to, if they want a fast game here, let's go ahead and fucking give it to them. So so uh, so this was how this is how, and in first they did they ran United off the field that day and won two mm. nil uh, I think it was um, I think the problem that they have is going to be uh, I mean the problem they had last season was was kind of effectively was scoring more than anything you know like defending they were good they obviously got this reputation for time wasting which they didn't like but which they obviously it was deliberate you know it was yeah, like for for sure yeah of course it was and so so there's a there's a bit of there's a kind of a slightly negative edge to the way they they you know he, he didn't he go to study at atletico madrid with diego simeone um, oh maybe yeah 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 he was he, you know he's an admirer of that type of uh, thing and i don't know if it really i don't know if it really works i don't know if it's um I don't know for a team that's you know in the Champions League and aspiring to win the title, which I guess Newcastle now now are. I mean, they've got everything going for them. You know, they've they've got Saudi Arabia, you know, they've got the best fans in the world. Uh, they've got you know they've got all these great players and the best manager, the best English manager Eddie Howe. You know, why not? Mm. So so that's so he will be confronted with that expectation now, sure. and that and how how he deals with the situation that he's never been in before uh, will will determine his his fate, I guess. Uh, Liverpool signed two very good players, but they've lost a lot of experience. And I know there's only so long players can go on, but, you know, in one summer they've lost Milner, Henderson, Firmino, Fabinho, uh, Kate has gone, and of course the the main man, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is, is no yeah. longer there. Don't but I mean, they, they, they have lost a great deal of experience and look teams have to renew and refresh and i think they've done it pretty well in terms of the the two big players that they've brought in but i mean liverpool's success has felt over the years um to be based on a pretty good collective situation at that football club with klopp and sporting directors and there've just been some departures and and things like that which might make you worry a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it it really does feel like it's falling apart, I think, for Liverpool. Like um, that whatever kind of 
magic, let's say, was animating the club, uh, you know, in the sense of a kind of uh, a shared belief uh, that the players had that, you know, this is this is a really good group of players. This manager really knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, we love coming into work every day. We, you know, I think I feel like that's really just broken now. It's gone. It's just this. It's dissolved. Um, like it's the kind of feeling that you get that Arsenal kind of um, give off now. You know that that kind of sense of like uh, um, like every, always, everybody's we, pulling in the in the one direction and yeah, and, we all believe yeah. in what we're doing here. We think yeah. that if we, you know, and I don't. I mean, I, clearly that wasn't the case last season at Liverpool. And what's happened now this summer, uh, I think, I mean, there was a quote from Van Dijk the other day, well, maybe it's just last night after their, their game, um, saying, yeah, you know, I can understand how people worry uh, when, you know, there we, 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 a lot of players leave and only two arrive. And yes, I can understand people. I mean, then we can see goals. Yes, I can. It's not like, it, these sound like your doubts, Virgil. It sounds like you may share yeah. uh, these worries or these doubts. You know, this is like the captain of the team. Maybe he was, uh, maybe it was actually part of him saying, look, this is nothing to worry about. We've got this. But I mean, you know, they, they, they go through last season uh, getting repeatedly run off the field. Um, you know, they, they, they had that series against Wolves and Brighton where, I mean, Brighton in particular just tore them to shreds, you know? Yeah. Um, and everyone agreed, okay, this this team has sort of lost its legs. It's it, To some extent, it's kind of a moral collapse, like in the, in the sense of like uh, they had that season where, you know, they played like every game you could play, got to the Champions League final, um, lost the Premier League on the last day, having you know chasing all the way, but confirmed they lost on the last day. Lost the Champions League in final in a really disappointing way. You know, Klopp was trying to say, "All right, lads," you know, he got them all on the bus, and it's like we're going to have a parade anyway. You know, <laughs> it's like it's it's important to remember that our season has, but like clearly they didn't really feel that. You know, they felt like the season that it had been a long chase, uh, which had ended in failure, and I think like that it kind of fed into what happened. They lost, obviously, Mane, who went on to have a terrible season himself, um, but was one of their kind of tone-setting players, I think, for the, for that entire period of, of their success. And he was gone. Brought in Darwin, a turkey. You know? Like, I mean, sometimes team signs a turkey, you know? I mean, Chelsea did it with Lukaku. Um, you know, that's a, a terrible sign. I mean, Dar- with Darwin, maybe... Um, He's young enough, maybe, to... to- He's young enough and, and he's he's kind of strong and quick and he's got like these basic, uh, you know, uh, elements uh, which you could imagine a good player having. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he's he got some basic, uh, some basic attributes which are good, but I have not seen anything from him since he's joined Liverpool that suggests that he can be part of a really top team. I think he could be a striker who could score... 20 goals in the Premier League. But I think a lot of the time also he's, I don't, I don't know if he could be part of a kind of a, a a top team in the sense of, in the way that Firmino was. Firmino, a player who is going to keep the ball, you know, who knows where to pass the ball, who knows when to pass the ball. These are the kind of things that Darwin, I just don't feel, mm. I don't feel he's got them. He's, he's like a, he's like a runaway horse. You know what I mean? He's, he's a, he's like, oh, he's a wild horse. And okay, and 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 there's a place for that. And he he has, I mean, he's he's he scored a few goals last season. I know people say, well, he kind of looked a bit, um, he 
He wasn't great at his first season at Benfica either. And then his next season, he exploded. I think the problem he's going to have is how does he get in the team? Because, you know, Liverpool at the moment, when you look at, say, the Premier League previews and so on, Mm. It's like, well, Liverpool have have got they've got their midfield woes, uh, but uh, they've got such firepower. And you're like, yeah, but you can still only play three of them, right? You know, they've you've got Salah, Gakpo, Diaz, Jota, Darwin, mm. right? They're the five forwards, and they play with three. So, I mean, in my opinion, the order there goes: Salah's number one, then you've got Gakpo, Diaz, and Jota. And then you've got Darwin. He's number five out of five. So how do you how do you get the kind of run of games? Like with with Benfica, he was like he was in their first team. Don't have a great game one week. That's fine. You're going to be in the team next week. You know you can kind of build up confidence, go on a run, all that kind of stuff. I, yeah. I just I just don't understand how it's going to happen. You know how could you put how could you put him in the team ahead of Cody Gakpo or, or Luis Diaz? You'd have to be insane. Well, <laughs> Europa to- League might be his uh, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, but I, I feel as though that, uh, and and you saw Carragher talking about this the other day. Um, Carragher and Neville having their, you know, Twitter arguments. But Carragher mentioned something, you know, which you hear talked about with Liverpool a lot, which is that really what's happened here is uh, Klopp is is kind of running the whole show now. You know that that. Yeah, previously he was the coach and they had, you know, Michael Edwards and they had the medical department and they had everything. Whereas now it's like Klopp is, is kind of looming over everything. And that's not necessarily good. That sounds like just familiar to me. Manager, hmm? That sounds familiar to me. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's so similar. I, I, feel, I feel it's so similar to the story of Arsenal in the second half of of uh, Wenger's time um, that uh, I don't, I can't really... I don't expect anything good really from Liverpool. I mean, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of good players, but I feel as though it's the whole thing has has become brittle. Um, I don't think Klopp really has the same um, charisma that he had before, or like, the, or, or I don't think he quite he com- he commands quite the same sense of mm. wow, this guy. You know, I I think tactically they've been worked out a little bit. You know, like when I see when I see. Um, City the other day or Brighton last season um, having it's like the whole the, the, the sort of pressing storm that Jurgen Klopp uh, Jurgen Klopp's career uh, was sort of built on you know this like oh we're going to go out there and they're, they're going to think we have 15 players um, has carried him this far but I kind of feel as though football has now evolved past it it's like every all of the current footballers have grown up with that like when, when Klopp was sort of unleashing that uh, at first, a lot of the times they're coming up against players who haven't really encountered it and don't yeah. know what to do. Whereas now it's like it's just normal. You, you kind of you're surprised when the other team doesn't press. You know what I mean? So like this whole idea of like I feel as though it's just a, it's the last evolutionary leap of football. It's the previous one. Yeah. So maybe he'll maybe he'll surprise us um, uh, by by kind of updating things, coming up with some uh, some sort of tweak. But like the way Brighton were playing with them last season, they didn't seem to have any ideas uh, as to what to do with it. And yeah, I think yeah, I think it could be a tough season. All right, um, I, I'm cognizant of the fact we've been going a while, and um, I haven't quite got around to as many teams as I would like. But you know, fuck Spurs and Chelsea uh, <laughs> and those people. If I could ask you for like just off the top of your head, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but maybe a, a wild card for the Premier League this season. You know, a team 
maybe Brighton again, who might do something that people didn't expect. Um, Newcastle finished top four. Do you think it's possible that that might happen again, that you might get somebody from the outside in that top four? Or is it a case that now that Arsenal are spending, City are spending, Liverpool are spending, you might see something of a uh, a return to the traditional top six there thereabouts. I mean, Chelsea have bought, I don't know, 50 fucking players since Todd Bowley took over. I don't know how many it is. It's probably way up in the, the high 20s. Yeah. Uh, but they've got now an actual manager rather than uh, Frank Lampard. You know, so that probably stands them in some good stead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with Chelsea, it's really hard to know. Like, I saw that Nkunku, um, who was their, you know, main, I suppose, striker signing is, like, is going to be out till Christmas, um, which isn't good. Mm. Um, although uh, Nicholas Jackson's been doing well in preseason, but again, it's all a bit sort of it's just, you know, we, we have to see what what their squad looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, are they going to have 33 players again? Because if you have 33 players, then it's just very difficult, I think, to... You, you almost have to just send 11 of those players off to... <laughs> it's just it's just too many. You know, it's a, it's mm. just... How can you... A lot of them know that they're not even relevant to the bench or, you know, they're, they're, there's no chance of them getting anywhere near the team. So what are they even doing here? Um, I think that was a big problem for them last season. Um, they have to be better this season. I, I can't... I just can't see it going the same way i mean the the team you haven't mentioned that i thought you were going to is villa with with all unai uh, no i mean they who've they brought in pau torres is a good signing uh, yeah, they Taras, did well last got, season they, uh, they've got musa diaby um they've got yuri tielemans yeah i mean he's done a very good job there to be fair um mm. certainly a club that's more aligned to I think it's, you know, more of a right place, right time situation for him than it was at Arsenal where he was, you know, wrong man at the wrong time. But then I think pretty much anybody would have been the wrong man at at that time for for Arsenal. Uh, You know, he does have a tendency to just last a couple of seasons. uh, Second in the 2023 calendar year table. Calendar year table. Well, there you go. Ahead of any United in Arsenal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So is that your, that's your little wildcard prediction? Yeah, well, I mean, it would sort of have to be because anyone else is like, like, I mean, is it a is it a wild card to say? Oh, I think Liverpool will get back in top four. No, which no, I no, don't I actually. So. I don't. I mean, I'm, I think they they might struggle again. Um, you know, Man United are they a wild card? Like, no, <laughs> no clearly so not. They should be there. Um, Newcastle already were there. Tottenham, I don't think. I don't really see how they're going to do it mm-hmm. uh, from from where they are. I mean, you look through the rest of the teams. I mean, and Chelsea are obviously the the ones that finished lowest last season. Who you would who you would have to consider among the teams who are usually there, obviously. Um, although, so the, the scope for improvement is much bigger for well, Chelsea because scope, of, it's a low bar. Yeah, yeah. With Chelsea, and, and there's such a weird set of circumstances, and and it's clear that like at some point, a lot of their their players just sort of gave up or like just started jockeying for position in terms of transfers and oh. You know, What's going to happen here? They, you know, they kind of knew the season. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to qualify for Europe. There was nothing to play for, so everyone just had sort of lost interest, mm. um, which isn't going to be the case. You would assume at the start of the season. I mean, they played Liverpool to begin with, so that's going to be uh, a good uh, tone setter. But yeah, I I think that this is. Uh, I think Arsenal and Man City look like the two best teams. I mean, Man City look like the best team. I'm just reading out the table from last season, really. <laughs> but, but that is still how I see it. Like, I yeah. don't feel as though 
Manchester United have done enough to kind of really close the the gap uh, or that Liverpool have repaired themselves properly or that Brighton are, you know, Brighton may lose Caicedo to Chelsea. I mean, that he, he would be a massive signing for Chelsea, I think, mm. uh, and a huge loss to um, to Brighton, who've obviously already lost McAllister. Um, and Newcastle maybe would be a little bit better, but I think they could be a little bit better and still be a little marginal for Champions League. So, mm. yeah, um, where did I start with this? Aston Villa. Yeah. All right. <laughs> go, go Villa. <laughs> Everything will just continue the same as it was earlier in 2023. All right. Well, look, we will see how it plays out. And as ever, it's a, it's a pleasure chatting to you and listening to you throughout the season on, on Second Captains. We'll leave it there for now. Ken, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Andrew. Good to talk to you. Thank you as ever to Ken. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ken Earlies, at Ken Earlies, and of course, over on Second Captains. And you can get more details of what they do, their Patreon, etc., etc., at secondcaptains.com. Right. Let's leave it there for this one. As I said, there is another podcast available for you right now if you haven't already listened to it. If you have already listened to it, we'll have a preview podcast for you on Patreon looking ahead to the Nottingham Forest game. That will be available for you Friday afternoon. For now, let's leave it there, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.